Such a joy to worship together. I don't know if you can hear each other as we sing, uh, but sitting up front, hearing your voices, our children, all of us together, singing the truth, singing the gospel of Jesus Christ, singing the joy of our salvation. It's one of the things that we do as a church family. Another thing we do as a church family is pray. Thank you over the course of this week for praying for Pastor Mitchell. I hope that you have received the updates. He is doing well. Uh, apparently no ill effects, uh, but they are following through, trying to keep track and get to the root of the issues. So uh, please do keep praying. I suspect he could preach this week, but we recognized that there was an opportunity. We had already planned for Pastor Roger to preach next week and lead us in a communion service. And then the following week is our 50th anniversary celebration. By the way, sign up Saturday the 15th. Great celebration together, but we need you to sign up. Anyway, on the 16th, Dr. John Stumbo, the president of the Christian and Missionary Alliance, is scheduled to preach. And so with those two weeks off, we realized, hey, if I came into the pulpit this week, that would give Pastor Mitchell a good three weeks to to rest and to concentrate on his health. So that's what's going on there. You might also remember that God gave us the opportunity last week to start a new series, one that we have been talking and praying about for quite a while as a pastoral staff, and our elders can tell you we've been praying about this as well, one that calls us to focus on the essentials of what it is to be the church and specifically what it is to be Cary Alliance Church. We recognize that over the past three, four years, the Lord has brought a lot of new people into our church family, and that's a wonderful thing. Thank you for worshiping with us. There is something that attracted you to this particular expression of the body of Christ, something about Cary Alliance Church that you like and wanted to become a part of. Well, those things that we do and those things that you see, they, they spring from values that we hold, uh, values that have developed over a long period of time and that have been inculcated into each one of us as members of this church family. And we thought this is a good time to, to expose those values and to talk about them together. In particular, coming out of COVID, two years of a little bit of strangeness. It's nice to focus, to center again, and to talk about uh, these essentials of the church, to talk about who is Cary Alliance Church. Now, some of you think, wait a minute, shouldn't that be what? Well, actually, no, because a church is not an organization or a building. A church is people. A church is us. A church is who. What are the things that we as a people value and cling to and seek to grow in. Last week, we kind of jumped ahead on this series, but it was a good opportunity to talk about Jesus Christ, our healer, and prayer for healing. Uh, today, we're going back to one thing that probably most people would say. If you asked, what is something that Cary Alliance Church values? A lot of people would say, we are a word-centered people. Uh, we value the scriptures. We value the, the communication that God has given us of his will and of his character as recorded for us in these words. 
But even at that moment, it's important to recognize we're not talking merely about an intellectual exercise. To be a word-centered people requires that we also be a spirit-empowered people so that we can live in a way that brings glory to the Lord. And so today we are talking about centering on the word of the Lord as we are taught by the spirit of the Lord so that we can live in a manner that glorifies the Lord. The anchor verse that we'll, we are using is John chapter 17, verse 17, and we'll go off into a few different places, but, but come back to that. This is where Jesus is praying for the disciples. He is about to go to the cross. He is about to be taken from them. And so he intercedes on their behalf before the Father. And Jesus actually says he's not only praying for the disciples, he says that he is praying for us. He says, Lord, I'm not only praying for them, but for those who will believe through them. And if you count through the generations, we are among those who believe through the ministry of the disciples. So Jesus prays for us along with the disciples, and he prays among his other petitions, sanctify them by the truth, your word is truth. There are two things that call for our attention in this verse. The idea of sanctification and what that is. And the truth of the word of God. God's word is true. There's a lot that we could talk about here. If there's anything that I have been praying that we will grasp hold of this morning... It's the fact that God's word is true, that it is entirely reliable, that it is sufficient for our spiritual need, and that it is powerfully active among us and in our world to this day. We know that God's word is true because it comes from God, and he is true. Paul tells Timothy that scripture was actually breathed out by God. That is the word that he uses in the Greek language. We translate it inspired, and inspired can be kind of fuzzy, you know. I was so inspired when I read that book, or that artist must have been so inspired when he drew that picture, or when she wrote that song. When we speak of scripture being inspired, we are actually talking about scripture being breathed out by the holy and living God, such that the men who recorded it were writing down the very words of God. And since God is true in his very nature and character, his word is true. It is entirely true. And it is entirely reliable. Scripture tells us that his word never fails. It never falls short. He always accomplishes the purpose for which he sent it forth. It's true. It's trustworthy. You can count on it. And it is sufficient. It's really amazing that when Jesus was in the desert being tempted by the devil... He had all sorts of spiritual tools at his disposal in order to oppose the evil one. He is, after all, God in the flesh. 
But what he availed himself of is the very tool that we have as well. The word of God. In fact, he said to the devil, people cannot live by bread alone. We live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Describing that very process that Paul described for us. The word of God proceeding from God's mouth is sufficient. It is what we can live by. God's word is entirely true and reliable and sufficient for us. And it is powerfully active in the world and in our lives today. We're not talking about a dead word. We're not talking about something that was static a thousand years ago, 2,000 years ago, actually. Sorry, forgive me for saying only a thousand. We're talking about something that is living and active. That's what the author of Hebrews tells us. To this day, penetrating to the very core of our being and used by God as a tool of transformation. There are three specific ways that we see the word of God active among us today. And the first one is in engendering faith. Here I'm referring to what Paul describes in Romans chapter 10 when he's actually talking about the plight of those who have never heard the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. He shares that wonderful promise. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord can be saved. It's so beautiful and it's for everyone. But then he shares the devastating reality that people cannot call on the one they've not believed in and they can't believe on the one of whom they have not heard. And they can't hear without someone preaching. And so people must be sent to proclaim the word of God to take this message of salvation. And he wraps it up saying, consequently, John chapter 10 verse 17 Faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of Christ. Faith does not come about in an individual's heart because we speak wise and persuasive words. Faith does not come about in an individual's heart because we are able to convince them of truths to which they are opposed and we overcome them with logic and powerful arguments. Yes, we need to understand the reason behind what we believe. But faith, saving faith comes about because of the word of God. And God's word is active among us and in our world today in engendering faith in the hearts of those who are exposed to his word. The word is also active among us in equipping us to live a life that brings God glory. Going back again to Paul's conversation with Timothy, he's writing to his disciple and he reminds Timothy that from his, from Timothy's childhood, his mind and his heart have been bathed in the word of God as his grandmother and as his mother exposed him to the truth. And he says, Timothy, this word that you have been exposed to, this word was breathed out by God and is useful. It's useful for teaching, that is for knowing truth about God. It's useful for rebuking, that is for correcting error 
or pointing out error. It is useful for correction, that is establishing someone on the right path. It is useful for training in righteousness, that is showing us of the way that we can live a life that brings glory to God so that the person of God may be equipped for every good work. So the word of God engenders faith in us and the word of God is also active among us in equipping us with what we need to serve each other, to serve in the world, to live a life that brings God glory, that is honoring to him. And then as we will see, and we'll talk about this a little bit more, the word of God is active among us in carrying out the work of sanctification. The thing that, that I long to come out here is that when you walk into Carrie Alliance Church, when you walk into a worship service on Sunday morning, you should hear the word It is our responsibility to preach the word, not to offer our opinions, not to offer erudite analysis on the events of the day, but to say what God has said and to give the Holy Spirit an opportunity to apply it in our lives. Most specifically, we hold to and we practice what we refer to as expository preaching. We set that off against topical preaching for a particular reason, and that's kind of ironic because what are we doing? We are starting a topical series about the church and about Carrie Alliance Church. I promise you we will go back to working through a book of the Bible verse by verse probably in the new year. Um, The reason that we do that, the reason that we focus on a book of the Bible and what God reveals in that book is it allows God to set the agenda for the church. Believe me, you don't want your pastors deciding what it is that we need to hear on any particular Sunday morning. We're not wise enough. We can't know what God wants to accomplish among us. As much as we may pray and desire to be used by the Lord, we need him to guide us in his word. And so as we work through a book of the Bible, we might come to a passage and we're like, I don't really want to talk about that. Guess what? God did. And so we're going to submit ourselves to what God has to say as we work through his word. We allow him to set the agenda as we prayerfully, hopefully, humbly and faithfully preach the word of God. The fact that God's word is active is the reason that our children's ministries and our youth ministries are set up the way we are. Right about now in this service, our kids are probably memorizing their Bible verse for the day. If you've got a child in children's ministries, ask them, what's today's Bible verse? We do that because it's God's word. Not cute teaching, it's God's word. That changes lives. This evening, Awana Ministries. Kids will be reciting verses that they have memorized, hopefully with their parents or with um, whoever is in charge of them through the week. Because God's word changes lives. Our youth do Bible quizzing, memorizing long portions of scripture because God's word is powerful and active and changes lives. 
I was so excited when Pastor Roger said that youth ministries for the fall would be focusing on the Bible and how to read the Bible because God's word changes lives. Our discipleship ministries are word-centered. Whether you're in a Bible study or a small group, whatever it might be, we gather around the word of God because God's word is true and reliable and sufficient and powerfully active. As we mentioned, one of the ways that it is active is in the work of sanctification. So we need to take a couple minutes to talk about what that means. Sanctification at its root means to be made holy. So then, of course, we have to talk about what being holy means. And you can't talk about holiness without talking about that in reference to God. God is holy. It is at the essence of his character. And when you boil it all down, what it really means is that God is entirely other. He is separate. He is separate from all of creation. He is eternal, glorious, almighty, perfect in everything that he is and everything that he does. And his creation is not. And so he is entirely other than we are. He is holy. In regard to sin, he is completely without sin, without error in any of his ways. He is perfect in all that he does. And so being entirely separate from sin, he is holy, holy, holy. We then, when we refer to sanctification, are talking about being holy in some of the same ways that God is holy which is a terrifying thought because we know that we are so far short of that. But there are two different ways in which we refer to God making us holy or we refer to God sanctifying us. One is a fact that is already accomplished. We talk about the cross here, of course, because it is the center of everything that we do and believe and all that we are. When Jesus Christ went to the cross on our behalf, he took our sin. He took all of our unholiness upon himself. And he bore the punishment that we deserve so that he can offer to us cleansing, forgiveness. In fact, if we can bear it, he offers to us his holiness. And those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ in an instant are made holy in God's eyes. He looks at you as a precious daughter or son through the blood of Jesus Christ and sees you as holy. That is one sense of sanctification. The thing is, I know me well enough. Most of you probably know me well enough. We certainly know ourselves well enough to see how very short of that we fall in actually living day to day. There's an amazing verse in Scripture that expresses this contradiction, and we realize it's not a contradiction, it is true, and it's beautiful. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14 
Speaking of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, what we just described, the author of Hebrews says, by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever. You have been made perfect forever in God's sight by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ if you have placed your faith in him and been born again of the Spirit. By that sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy Because in our lives, day to day, we are growing into the image of Jesus Christ. It can be very discouraging to see how far short we fall sometimes. Jesus prays that we would be sanctified by the truth. And yet we look at our lives and we see What a contrast there is between us and between the truth. Part of the problem can be that we take the beauty and the glory of this gospel and we tend to turn it into a list of do's and don'ts, of rules that we follow. And we imagine to ourselves, if only I'll follow the rules better, then I'll be more holy. And so we try harder and harder. For most believers, there comes a point in our lives when we get to the end of that trying. When we say, I can't do it anymore. I keep banging my head up against a wall of sin and I fall. How can I get past it? The Apostle Paul actually describes that experience for us in Romans chapter 7. He describes the fact that a list of rules, that a law, actually can't make him holy. In fact, when he is exposed to law, what comes up in his heart is lawlessness, a desire to do the very things that the law says he shouldn't do. He actually spells that out in those words. He's frustrated because he knows the things he shouldn't do and those are the things he keeps on doing. And he knows the things that he ought to do and those are the things he persists in failing to do. And he gets to the end of himself and he actually says, what a wretched man I am. Who will save me from this body of death? We have to reach that point. We have to reach the end of ourselves and our efforts. Because Paul tells us there is an answer. What a wretched man I am. Who will save me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And then he goes into Romans chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life has set us free from the law of sin and death. And so we begin to see how the Word and the Spirit go hand in hand in the matter of sanctification. This isn't a topic that Paul introduced on his own. In fact, if we go back to Jesus in John chapter 17, praying for the disciples, praying that they would be sanctified by the Word of truth, 
We need to recognize that that prayer comes at the end of three chapters in which Jesus is describing to the disciples what life would be like for them after he is taken from them. He knows that he's going to the cross. He knows that after the resurrection, he will ascend to the Father. And he is preparing the disciples for life without him. And that prospect is terrifying to them. They are confused. In fact, not long after Jesus goes to the cross, they fall into sin, they fall into the doubt. Some of them just kind of throw up their hands and go back to their old way of life. But Jesus promises them that he's not going to leave them alone. In John 14, 17, right before he goes into this prayer, Jesus says, I will not leave you. The Father will send another advocate who will be with you forever, the spirit of truth. I'm sorry, John 14, 16. Jesus promises that God will send the Holy Spirit and that the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. He then goes on to say, the Holy Spirit is going to teach you and remind you of the things I have said. In John chapter 15, he says, the Holy Spirit is going to testify about the things that Jesus has said and done. In chapter 16, he says the Holy Spirit is going to guide you into all truth. In other words, the Holy Spirit is given to go hand in hand with the word of truth in the process of living life in our day. Pastor Mitchell, three months ago, was talking about meditating daily on the Word of God. And he said, if the Word of God needs to be uniquely taught to us by the Spirit of God, who is called by Jesus, the Spirit of truth. I'm hoping that you see the parallel here. Jesus calls the Word, the Word of truth, and he calls the Spirit, the Spirit of truth. And the Spirit opens our eyes to understand what is in God's Word. He teaches us, He reminds us, He guides us. The parallel continues. We talked about the Word as powerfully active in our lives and in the world today. The Holy Spirit is powerfully active in our lives and in the world today. And it must be so. Jesus said, you will receive what? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And then you will be my witnesses. The Holy Spirit is the power for salvation. Yes, the word of God engenders faith, but it is actually the Holy Spirit who accomplishes the work of transformation, of bringing about new life in what was dead. The Holy Spirit is the power for service. He is the one who distributes spiritual gifts among his people and enables us to use those gifts to serve each other, to build each other in our walk with the Lord. The Spirit is our power for hope, for love, for holiness, is given to us as this gift that goes hand in hand with the word. We talked about the word as the instrument of sanctification. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Well, the Holy Spirit is the power for sanctification. 
In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, Paul is writing about this process of sanctification, whereby step by step we are made holy, transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. He says, as we already said, and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. This process of being transformed into the image of Jesus Christ is the work of the Holy Spirit in us. And so when you think of who is Carrie Alliance Church, we must be a people who are committed to the hand-in-hand work of the Word and the Spirit. The psalmist wanted to see wonderful things in the Word of the Lord. And he prayed, open my eyes. He was asking for the Spirit's ministry of illumination in order to see wonderful things in God's Word. Paul calls us to count ourselves dead to sin. He's talking about a process that takes place in our mind in which we say, I am no longer that. Instead, I am alive to God in Christ Jesus. Elsewhere, he calls us to put to death the misdeeds of the body. And in that very verse, he says, do so by the Spirit. We can't do it on our own. So when we do it on our own, that we come up against that wall and we just start banging our head and we fall down in despair. Jesus tells us to make disciples, to be his witnesses. He says you will do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul tells us to be careful how we live, not as unwise, but as wise. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. Talks about that a little more and then goes into, do not be drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is the power so that we can live as those who are wise, not as those who are unwise. The Word and the Spirit go hand in hand. And so we speak, seek to be a people who are Word-centered and Spirit-empowered so that we can live a life that brings glory to God. A few moments of, of practical advice in living that out. And this is more a prayer than an instruction that we would be this way. First of all, let us pray biblically and read prayerfully. Let's not divorce these two things. The Spirit and the Word go hand in hand. We try and set an example of that from the pulpit. I don't know if you've noticed, but about three years ago, we as a staff made a decision. When we lead in prayer, we are not just going to stand up there and come up with something. We're going to seek the Lord. What scripture would you have me to pray this morning? And we look at the scripture. What is God saying to us? And how can I pray that truth for my own life and for my church family from the pulpit? That is seeking to set an example of the way that we all can pray. Not conjuring up clever words that maybe will make God happy. Praying his word back to him and inviting the spirit then 
to apply the word in our lives. And so we read the word prayerfully. And I'm talking about this literally. Often, the first thing that comes out of my mouth when I sit down with God's word, on my own or with my daughter, Holy Spirit, open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. We can't understand God's word on our own. We need the Spirit working in our hearts and minds, even as we read. In the matter of making disciples, and here I'm talking about whether we're sharing the gospel with someone to hopefully lead them to faith, or whether we are working with our children or with other young believers in our conversation with each other. In the matter of making disciples, the Word of God is the primary instrument and the Holy Spirit is the primary worker. It is not, as we've already said, a matter of wise words, uh, persuasive speech, exercising our will over someone else in such a way that they become the thing that we're dreaming of them being in our minds, which is so often what we are tempted to do. It's a matter of bringing people to God's Word and asking the Holy Spirit to do the thing that He does best. Let's avoid the latest fad or the coolest recent philosophy when it comes to evangelism and discipleship. Let us be a people who bring others to God's Word and who let the Holy Spirit do, do what the Spirit does best. Same thing is true in our own lives, in our struggle with sin. The primary instrument is God's Word, and the primary work is that of the Holy Spirit. If you come to an older brother or sister in Christ and say, I am really struggling with doubt or with fear, or I am caught in a certain addiction and I don't know how to be free. I am falling before temptation and I fail over and over again. What they are going to do is give you scripture. Jesus used scripture as a tool in the struggle against temptation. He did that as an example for us. And so in our struggle against sin, let us saturate our hearts and minds in God's word. Your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. But let us fall on the spirit prayerfully, desperately, dependently, asking him for the power of holiness. And in that regard, let us stop looking for some other solution. There isn't one. You've probably heard it. Maybe you've said it. If only God would tell me what to do. God has told you what to do. And on top of that, he has given you his spirit so that you can do it. Let's stop looking for something else and recognize that he has already granted us by his grace everything necessary for life and godliness. And then in this regard, let us recognize that in the matter of growing in Christ-likeness, once again, the word is the primary tool and the spirit 
is the one who is producing in us the image of Jesus Christ. In this regard, please remember, it's not an instant solution. Salvation is an instant solution. You place your faith in Christ, you are made new. Often, sanctification involves that critical moment in which we come to the end of ourselves and fall on the Word and the Spirit to do His work in us that we can no longer do. But growing in Christ is given to us as an image of a tree that is planted by a stream of water and grows and produces its fruit in season. You can't put a seed in a microwave and hope that it's going to bear fruit. In fact, Jesus doesn't have very good things to say about the seeds that spring up quickly and what happens when the temptation or the persecution comes in. We are called to a, what one author has described, long obedience in the same direction. As we expose and saturate ourselves to the word of God and the Holy Spirit does his beautiful work in our lives so that we can live in such a way that brings God glory. Let's pray together. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that you have not left us on our own. I can't imagine what it would have been like to be the disciples and recognize finally that Jesus was about to leave and the feeling of helplessness and hopelessness to accomplish all that you wanted us to do. And to this very day, that's true. Apart from you, we can do nothing. But you've not left us apart from you. You have graciously and generously poured out your spirit. And so we invite you, Holy Spirit, to do your work among us. Guide us into the truth of the word. Empower us for holy living. Make us more like Jesus. We can't do it, but we know that you can. In fact, you've promised, Lord, that when you began a good work in us, you would carry it on to completion in the day of Christ. And so we fall on your word, which is true. And we trust you to keep going with that work. And Lord, I do pray in particular for that one or maybe many who are here and really have reached the end. In the struggle against sin falling over and over, feeling so very desperate and beaten down Remind us, Lord, that we are sons and daughters of the living God and that you've given us everything we need to live that way, to live in victory, to live in hope, to live with joy, to manifest, as we've been studying so well, the fruit of your Holy Spirit in our lives. We invite you to bear fruit in us for your glory. 
In Jesus' name we pray, amen.